I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. My guest this week is Sid Herring of the Gants. Now, the Gants were a great garage band from Greenwood, Mississippi, formed in the mid-60s. The British were invading, and Sid Herring was getting to be well-known as the local singer who not only resembled Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits, but his singing voice was compared to that of John Lennon. I have a lot of admiration for Sid, but I'm not the only one. Here's what the last DJ himself, Tom Petty, had to say. Yeah, I believe that. That's the Gants doing Little Boy Sad. I played you too by the Gants there because I love them so much. They were out of Mississippi and a great little rock and roll band. And before that, we had Roadrunner, their number one song from 1965, courtesy of Bo Diddley. And Stephen Van Zandt of Bruce Springsteen's East Street Band. I don't know. Anyway, the Gants are very cool. From Greenwood, Mississippi, if you talk to them, they sound like they're really from the South. And then they sing exactly like the Beatles. It's amazing. So are you still singing and recording? Yeah, it's uh, I got it on check out uh, YouTube. There's a few songs off of it from there, but uh, uh, it's called Music. Uh, well, that was the first music for friends, but uh, that I did myself, engineered and played most of the stuff on. But uh, this one was the second one. It's called Full Circle. I think you'll like it too, Ben. Memphis, it's a blues thing. Matter matter of fact, I mentioned Memphis in, in one of my songs in there. Oh, you do. Yeah. Tell me more about the Gants. We uh, we did that for a little bit, Johnny Freeman and I, and then uh, I don't know. I I wanted to play somewhere, and we've been playing some little things here and there, people's houses, friends' houses, a few times, and with Johnny Freeman, and, and I got a gig uh, outside of town, and I said, well, let's you know, everybody asked everybody they want to do it. And Johnny says his says his mom wouldn't let him go out of town do this cheap gig, so. So uh, I said, well, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I got to have money. I'm not going to turn it down. It was our first out-of-town gig. And so I went. we went and did it, and my best friend was uh, Johnny Sanders. And uh, he, uh, we've been friends since we were nine years old, like brothers, all the time. And, and so I had, I'd been teaching him how to play the guitar for, for years, a little here, a little there, with no, no we weren't in a hurry, but I told him one day, I said, Johnny, I got to need you for a gig, and, and uh, uh, you know, this is going to be, a, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a pretty good gig. He said, well, I can't play it. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, I said, well Johnny, it pays 50 bucks. He said, what time do we start? <laughs> That's how we got started. Johnny Sanders, I convinced him that he could play, and he played good, and, and uh then from there on, it kept uh, getting a little better and a little, a little better. And he was just enough to, he did exactly the right part, you know. It just, it was something that uh, I always mention because I kind of think it was the, the formula that made it uh, work. And then as it went along, it kept getting a little better and a little better. And, it, and like I said, he was a better singer than he thought. He sang really good background. And Vince was a natural talent. He liked. You could just give him, and you didn't have to tell him nothing. You just tell him what the, the idea was, and then strike out, and he would just pick up on it just like he knew it. 
So Vince was different. He, he was a harmony man. He was a low voice harmony man. And he could uh, hit that harmony note real good. And it was good that he was guiding, kind of guiding Johnny along. And then you take Don with the natural ability he had. He didn't even think about it. You just asked him to say, Don, can you do this? And he would just do it. <laughs> kind of like I, I heard Ringo uh, the other day. I was listening to an interview with uh, Ringo and something on that uh, serious radio. And uh, he says it was funny how John used to do him that way. He said, John, John, come to me and say, man, I got this song. Uh, he says, I want you just to do this. I just want you to play it. He says, well, I don't know how's it go. He says, well, you'll learn when we start playing it. Just, just do it. <laughs> so that was, that, that was a, that means that Ringo had a lot of talent and so did Don because I did the same thing to him. I'd say, I don't know. I'm not a drummer. You, you have to figure it out, you know. Well, speaking of John Lennon, people used to compare your voices, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and and uh, but I was a big fan of his too. And I I really um, at the time when I did one of their songs, I wanted to sound just like them if I, as much as I could possibly do, you know. And we had the same tone in our voice in a way. And uh, so there are points to where they blend together, and we're using kind of the same vocal mindset on how to sing in some cases. But uh, to be Compared to John Lennon is is extremely a nice compliment because I think he was a real genius in his music and he's a little wild and crazy here and there. But if he wasn't a little wild and crazy, he probably wouldn't come up with all that okay, great stuff. Okay, let me get this straight. You sounded like John Lennon and looked like Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits. Yeah, we did. Uh, I remember one time we were. Uh, I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and. And uh, I was back there with the radio people and stuff, and, and they were going on stage at the Coliseum, and, and then we just took a little a little picture back there together. And, but that was about it. We never really played that type of music. It was just funny how many people would. Uh, I think at that concert that night, they, I had that we had went out the back door. Me and my cousin Freddie Call, and uh, there were I don't know. 200, 300 girls back there. We barely made it to our car. And uh, we had to get a policeman to escort us out. We weren't doing anything. We were just trying to leave. We weren't playing or anything. But that was a lot of fun, man, having, those, having that uh, happen. And Peter Noon did a good job of getting them all there, you know. You guys formed in Greenwood, Mississippi, right? Yeah, uh-huh, the Greenwood. And that's where in the Delta there. It started with kind of a pop and, and kind of R&B. Started playing some of those. And then instrumental, too. We were kind of hot on instrumental. I was being influenced uh, constantly. I think we went to sleep by somebody. And I went to see, uh, well, first it was Elvis, like everybody else. You know, knocked me out. Then, then, I, then Little Richard come along, and I really... Really, really like really, really. I think to the day he's still one of the best singers of all time. But uh, we were big influenced by uh, by those guys, and, and uh, you know, it just it kind of guided my direction on on what I want to do. When you do their songs, you know that you kind of want to be like that, so it kind of lets you know what direction you're in. The Gants recorded not only in Memphis but in Muscle Shows, didn't you? I tell you what, we did. I went. 
and we were, I think, three or four gigs down. And I got a call from somebody in Vicksburg, and I, I booked a gig in Vicksburg. And then this was with John, you know, John Freeman's not the band anymore. And actually, he never was in the Gants. He was only in the Kings when, when the John Sanders got in the Gants. Uh, that's when we became the Gants. But uh, what was I just saying to you? I'm sorry, I lost through myself off there. I was, you were talking about recording. Oh, yes. I was, we were doing a gig in Greenwood at Legion Hut there. In fact, they got a mark, marker there in Greenwood of the Gants for for uh, our music history uh, there, for uh, music markers. And we were doing that, and, and so uh, Dominic Fertini had uh, amusement there, and he was into uh, music as well, and he would take an artist every now and then and take them somewhere and record them. Well, he came to me and asked me if we wanted to record in, in Fame Studios. And, you know, I said, well, sure, that sounds really good. Let me talk to the guys, and I'll let you know. So that's what we did. But before that, what I was talking about, I went to, after we did the Vicksburg gig, we went to, uh, immediate, I immediately went to Memphis and got with Sam Phillips in Sun Studios. They actually recorded at Sam's studio. But uh, anyway, uh, and I asked to set up a session. So within a few days there, uh, after the Vicksburg gig, or maybe a week or so, we went to Memphis, and we recorded nine songs. And we set up, and this is all new to me, you know, but it was a good experience because it kind of set me up for the most of the show still. But we recorded nine songs straight. We set up. We didn't break. We just played them like a gig, back to back, one right after another. We didn't stop and refix anything. <laughs> Uh, but it kind of gave us the idea. It gave us the feeling. It took some of the uh, the uh, nervousness out of being in the studio because we did that, and then we it was okay. You know, it wasn't really good, but I couldn't say it was really good. It was okay. And so then, when they asked when when I got that opportunity from Dominic to go to Fame, I jumped all over it, and I you know got the guys, and they were involved too. And, Actually, we were the second group to record there uh, on the on record, and and Jimmy Johnson, we might have been his first group to record, and, and he did he done he recorded Bob Seger, he recorded uh, the Stones. The man has worked with some of the best of all time, but he started with us, you know, and it, and it really it really worked well because we were all fired up, and and we they did tell me that I could play any of the songs I wrote and I could do they would just go along with me and let me choose the songs since I wrote all the songs and was singing them and so you know it was in between all the guys and everything we all talked about it but uh, I that's when I did four songs and and uh, kind of that's that's when it all started because that's when well, I take that back because we, we'd already played with the animal before we did that. We I did a gig. We did that before we did this this other thing that I'm talking about. So you recorded in Memphis after you opened for the animals? Yeah. Well, no, no. I did that. I, we did a session in Memphis that I told you after Vicksburg. We did that, and then we went to Muscle Shows shortly after that. We did that. So Muscle Shows was second. And, and uh, you know it, it worked out pretty good, but uh, we really wanted more time to record. 
The tablet back then, they could only do four tracks at a time. So we were only getting some drums and bass. I had to go to Nashville to finish three or four songs because they couldn't do them all the same at the same time there, unless you ping pong, which is record double, you know, double trip stuff over. You really couldn't do that, but they'd get a good quality out of it. But uh, they worked with us, and, and then uh, we all, it all, I don't know what it was, it was a combination, I think, of a lot of gigging and really being involved in my music, speaking from my writing. I was really into it, even though I didn't know what I was doing. I was really enjoying it a lot. And and, uh, and so it was just, uh, it kind of all seemed like it was a good time to come together, if it was going to come together, because we'd been playing quite a few gigs by then, and, and uh, we kind of gotten natural about it. I list and playing it pretty smooth, you know. One of my favorite Gantt songs is My Baby Don't Care. Where did you record that one? We did that in Muscle Show. In fact, that was one of the first ones we started with, My Baby Don't Care. Yeah, well, it worked out real good. I, I had written it in before we got there in a good way, but um, you learn a lot of more things when you start recording. You learn how to deal with it, and it just worked out. You never really... No, until you get about halfway through your recording, or maybe, and then you kind of know what the potential for the song is in some cases. Even back then, I, I knew which one we enjoyed, and, and we enjoyed doing every single one of them. It was total, our, our fun that was in us that we were having went right through our music and on out to the people. So that was fun, and it just kind of, worked that way, but that was a lot of fun when that happened. Who produced the songs that you recorded in Muscle Shoals? A guy named Williams. I can't think of his name. Uh, John Williams, maybe John Johnny Williams. Anyway, he comes from Nashville. I think uh, Herschel Wigginson, which was the producer, but he didn't really do much producing. He just kind of sat in the, in the control room, but uh, he knew this guy, this Williamson guy. And he called him to come down for a session the next time we went down. And this guy was unique. He brought a little boy sad. But anyway, he had this uh, had this little lamb. He had this van. <laughs> and see, they didn't have Wawa's and they didn't have Pulse on back then. Even the Stones hadn't put out satisfaction with the first stone on back then. But uh, he had this amp and he would turn it on and kind of set it where you remember Remember when we were kids and we would sing into at least I was, and I was singing into that fan. It would give you that funny sound. Oh yeah, I sure yeah. do. Well, that's what he had on his guitar, and when he played some of the licks on uh, that guitar, it would uh, affect. Uh, plus, he had a tube in his mouth that you do the wah wah on, and he was doing the wah with his mouth completely before uh, Peter Frampton or any of them did it. And you can hear him on smoke rings and on uh, some of a little bit of Little Boy Sad. It kind of made smoke rings work. Once we did that album and muscle shows, and then we did a few more gigs, and we took Roadrunner ourselves, and we went to a few radio stations, and we we gave Greenwood obviously one, and uh, we gave a few local stations uh, or area in our area stations like, uh, some. I mean, copy, and they liked it. So it's kind of the 
that story, you know, you, you jump up and down, do backflips and all that stuff. They liked it, so uh, we, were, we, were, we were happy with that. Liberty Records robbed you of a hit record with Gloria, didn't they? Well, what happened with Gloria, yeah, what happened with Gloria was uh, we were, I'd give credit to Van Morrison for being such a great writer, you know, but uh, they had been banned and uh, for radio because he'd made a few sexual uh, comments or something. And I, they banned it from radio. So I decided, well, that we'll record it because if that's the case, people don't want to hear it. And it sounded good at our gigs anyway. And so we recorded it. And so we're going on down the line, Roadrunners, making its name, doing what it did and going up the charts and stuff. And, and then uh, WLS Chicago picked up Roadrunner and starts playing uh, Gloria too, and it was going up their charts some, and getting a good reaction. So we called our and WLS is like you know the middle of the country that's doing it's probably the strongest one of the strongest radio stations around. And so uh, I called we called uh, the people at Liberty. And we talked to him a little bit and said, man, we need to put out Glory right now. Just do a second one off that album. But then about a few months later, Shadows of Night went and recorded it just like me. It sounded almost like me singing. I couldn't believe it. And uh, then uh, the audience that was picking up ours picked up theirs. And Liberty refused to, uh, uh, they refused to put ours out. And uh, so there you go. It, I don't know if it had done as well as the other one, but I know it uh, it got played on Chicago quite a bit. And uh, it would, could have been a potential really good hit for us uh, rather than uh, before it was some of the other groups like Shadows at Night. I like your version better, and I think it would have been a major hit. Yeah, well, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think, well, they had a great version, but I think the people had kind of caught on to that song. And boy, you couldn't do no wrong when you play it. Everybody really liked that song. I'll say this about it, and I don't want to you know, put too many stars in the hat, but if you compare the two side by side, ours had more energy by, by a good deal, you know. And I think that's, that's what makes hits, energy. Getting that energy to go across. You know. It sure doesn't hurt. Now, didn't you live in Memphis for a while? I did for five years, and uh, I was uh, working in a studio in uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, and and, uh, and we did some recording there. It never really panned out, but it did uh, get Jerry Williams interested in uh, me, and so he drove up from he drove up from Memphis one time, and he knew Mike, the guy that on the studio I was working at in Jackson. And he drove up one time to meet me and uh, Don. And, uh, and we met him and really struck it up good. I like Jerry. Jerry's a good guy. I, uh, I uh, always, I like him as a friend, as, as a manager, and everything. But uh, anyway, he comes and he says, man, why don't y'all come? He said, why don't you come to... Uh, Memphis and I'll give you a deal. We'll set you up and get you going. And, and so I, 
And he says, will you be working with Steve Cropper and, and Ron Capone and then Chef and, and uh, all these great people? And I, of course, I, I said yes. And so uh, I asked Don if he wanted to go with me, and we moved to Memphis. And then we started recording uh, with Steve and, and did a album called Watch Box There. That was a really good album, and I thought your version of Mammy Blue was much better than the stories version. Yeah, I uh, I was I was pretty happy with that too. I mean, I you know you, you're real critical of yourself, and you really got to do it really right. At least I do before I before I sit there and say that's the best I can do. But I was real critical, and and if you do that, I think that that again we had. It was more coming out of more feeling coming out of the uh, song and, and that recording than it was uh, the other ones I heard. That is a really good song, and there were other good songs on that Watch Pocket album. Yeah, uh, we we were digging in trying to trying to create a, n- a new sound uh, most of the time, and and uh, uh, you know we ran up on some stuff that was. Would uh, Jerry let me have free, total freedom? And I should have, you know. Sometimes things pop out, and then sometimes it's just hard as hell to find something that sounds good. And I, I was kind of going through that for for a little while, but he he gave us freedom, and uh, I thought we cut some pretty good stuff myself. But uh, I don't know. I, I I needed honestly was I was writing them as fast as I could, but I wasn't writing them quite fast enough. I, I needed to uh, try to put them out a little faster than I was, but we cut some good stuff there, and I was real proud of some of the stuff we did there. But I tell you, some of the demos we cut really would fire me up really good, and I'd get all excited about them, and then when we'd go do them in the session, they just wouldn't work out as well. But you never know what makes that happen, but that happens in in all studios from time to time. Even on Roadrunner, when we played it live, I saw Bo Diddley play that live, and boy, it really was effective live. We played it live, people would just really get off on that. I mean, they would just, that would show you which song they liked. You know, I don't know, I just I just thought that was a, a, a great song. It had a, had a lot of a lot of energy, and you know, Bo Diddley, who, who can... Complain about him. He's one of the best. He sure is. And you also got to work with another legend, Sam Phillips. Now, did he actually produce your songs? No, we saw Sam. He was there. You know, we were recording. He had an engineer with him, but it was doing the session for us. But he came in, I think. We didn't get much time with him, but uh, it was in the afternoon. And we recorded. You know, we were like, uh, I had written, I think I had written, Maybe three songs, and so I put those three songs on there, and then we did Stones and Beatles. So, and and we did it like uh, live. It was done like you know we didn't like I told you we didn't stop or nothing or overdub or do anything like that. We had fun doing it. Learned a lot, but I learned that uh, we did that too. In in fame, we we did uh, recorded and sang at the same time a lot. I don't know. You know, back in those days, you kind of had to. Nowadays, it's not as much that way with all the te- technology. Sun Studio still does it the old-fashioned way. 
I meant to ask you earlier, is my baby don't care about one of your old girlfriends? Um, no, not not really as far as uh, any particular person at the time. I, I, I was just uh, kind of just thinking about what I thought people would be interested in. And boy, we were definitely interested in girls. <laughs> you, know? you were ahead of your time, too, with the Wawa. <laughs> well, that's where music did help, help a whole lot. You know, really helped out. When we did Little Boy Sad, uh, like I told you, the guy brought that, uh, he just mentioned it. He brought it from uh, Nashville to Muscle Shows when we did our second recording session. And uh, you know what? I liked I liked it, but at the time, I wasn't sure of it. And we worked it up, and we had been, all of our other songs, we were really been playing a lot. We were tight on, but on Little Boy Sad, we, we had to work a little harder on that because we didn't know it as well, and it was totally... We were, we'd been doing stuff we were pretty much familiar with, you know. But we did okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I just think there are a couple of spots where the vocals were flat, and you know, I, was, I tried to get them to go back and refix them sometime, and uh, they were just on rolling. As a matter of fact, uh, we were talking earlier about uh, Roadrunner, and when we did Roadrunner, I, we cut it, and uh, I said, well, they said, okay, that, that sounds pretty good. Let's take a break, go get, eat lunch. And I said, well, I said, I said, Herschel, I said, I can do that better. I said, that's one of our hottest songs when we play, and we can do that better. We just got to get in the mood. You know? He said, well, okay, let's go eat lunch, and then when we get back, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try it. Well, as soon as we got back, he, he was pretty hot on the one the track we had. As soon as we got back, he just jumped right onto another song, and, and then I, by that time, it was a little too late to go back and try it. But I know that we, it, it, I know that we could have done it better, and I was, it was okay with the way we did it. I just know we could have done it better, and that just frustrates me. But when a song holds up for fifty-five years and you still get all the jacks up, went right. <laughs> you like doing covers, don't you? You know, I'm, I'm really into that. I'm into doing covers, and, and uh, if you check out the cover on uh, my uh, Full Circle album, you know, sitting going to a place. And and then sitting there doing a picture and free programming the cover and all that sometimes don't seem pure or natural. And so uh, I wanted to get into the covers more. They didn't allow me to do that. And I almost I almost asked somebody else to see if they could clear that. But they they did the covers themselves, and uh, they were they were pretty good, but some of them I, I thought we could have done a little better. But then then I was into I've always been into art. In fact, that's something I really liked when I was in grammar school and kept going with it. And do it today, and uh, so I wanted to get into that, but it just kind of slipped by. I think we had stuff going, so many things going that uh, Liberty took that on themselves and, and then had it. So in reality, we didn't have any other other than the pictures. We didn't. They have much to do with the covers. But they turned out, they did a pretty good job. Good to know, but I was talking about a song that you covered called Stormy Weather. One of that particular song. You know, I, I, I tell you what, I heard Tommy Burke and the Counts play that. And uh, what's about, do you, you ever heard of him, Tommy Burke and the Counts from Memphis? Yes, I have, and that's why I asked. I had heard them, you know, uh, I've been to some gigs they they played at and heard them do a song. And so everybody thought it was good, so I thought, well, we'll do it too. And 
and subtly did, the songs spurred some natural creativity for me because in the third verse, I upped the up the uh, the range of it and and I sang it more bluesy and opened it up, you know. And I think that really helped that song a lot because it did real well in a lot of places. But uh, the Counts did a hell of a job. I, I thought they were a good band. I thought they were real organized and they did a good job. But the recording they did, I heard that, didn't turn out quite as well as ours did. Uh, I kind of think a lot of that had to do with recording with Muscle Shows with Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> In your traveling and touring, did you ever run across Jimmy Jameson? Yeah, I did. I remember him. Uh, I think it was a Facebook gig or something. Everybody was playing in Jackson, Tennessee at the Coliseum there. And they had uh, Spencer Davis and, and uh, Association. Anyway, he called me one day and he said, I mentioned your name. This was right before he died. I never even got to tell him how much I appreciated what he did for me. And that, that just really knocked me out. I thought that was cool, man. Him telling that he's in another band and he tells them about me, you know. He was born one day before I was and looked 20 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> Hated him for that. Yeah, he held up pretty good. Make sure you're with us next time for my conversation with a Memphis music icon, John Fry of Ardent Studios. From my 2014 interview with John, who was involved with Memphis music for decades. John talks about Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Big Star, and their contribution to Memphis music, on Memphis Music Interview, Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. Please subscribe here or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Mitch McCracken. I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a Get Cracken production.